Hey everybody, this is producer Harry here. Quick programming note before we get into today's episode. For the month of September, Spencer's is going down to once a week. We are going to take some time to recharge our batteries, take a little bit of time off, but we still have one episode a week coming out every Tuesday for everybody. So enjoy this episode and we will see you next week. And I love when people spell out a MC into Mac. I'm like, that's, first of all, that's Kentucky culture. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we reminisce about our high school sports glory days. I'm Jordan and Haley's here. You reminisce about your high school. (laughs) I hated high school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do. I do. I have to admit, I might uh, bust out that Letterman jacket every once in a while. It was uh, the girl Jordan sign, you know, with the ponytail. I loved it. Fair enough. Today, we have a story from sports reporter Robert O'Connell. You can find Robert on Twitter at Robert F. O'Connell. We love the story he brought to us. It is about mm-hmm. local high school hoops versus specialized prep academies. And how they are existing together in the same space, the advantages, the disadvantages of both, and what it is doing for the high school basketball economy overall. This is something I'm really passionate about because as long as I can remember, my Aunt Kathy, my favorite person in the world, has been updating me on Ballard High School Basketball, which is a high school here, a public high school in Louisville. She taught there for decades. And I remember when she met my uncle, She said, I'm not moving to Louisville with you because all they care about there is high school basketball. And then she moved to Louisville and got extremely into high school basketball. It is huge (laughs) here. There have been so many players that come out of Ballard, like Devontae Parker, wrong sport, but big example, Allen Houston. And yeah, it's extremely important to the community, to the state. We're very proud of the homegrown products, but... It's interesting because that kind of high school kind of fades away now that you've got mm-hmm. these prep academies. And that's really what Robert's going to get into today. Yeah. And it it seems like it's kind of the new thing and also what's coming in the future, because we also talk about some of the legends that did kind of go to their local high schools and how that would be so different now. It's hard to imagine. I know I wasn't going to no prep school. My mom was not going to let me fly across the country to play basketball in high school. So it's definitely different these days. Shout out to public schools. Um, And also when we were working on this, when um, our wonderful editor, Isabel Jocelyn, was putting this together, the news that two high schools who are featured in this story were going to play each other came out. So that's Christ the King, which is a school that you'll hear a lot about in a second in New York, a private high school, and Sierra Canyon, which is in California, of course. I'm sure you've heard about it because that's where LeBron James' son, Bronny, plays. They are going to play each other on Saturday, January 21st because LeBron James requested it because sometimes when you are you know, a very powerful uh, soccer mm-hmm. mom, you can do that. So yeah, those are they're playing. That is going to be a must-watch. And of course, the two players featured during that matchup are going to be Bronny James, who plays for Sierra Canyon, and Keon Anthony, Carmelo Anthony's son, plays for Christ the King. They're playing during that game. Mm-hmm. And wasn't it like 20 years 
before that LeBron and Melo played. So I think that's just LeBron pulling some strings and being like, I want to hang out and watch our sons play with my best friend. Exactly. He's like Mr. Hollywood over here. Yeah, I know exactly what's going to sell. And it will. And you're correct. That is 20 years after that, probably one of the more iconic um, high school matchups, which was LeBron, who played for St. Vincent, St. Mary in Cleveland, and Carmella, who played for Oak Hill. Um, That was a very highly anticipated high school showdown. Absolutely. I love this matchup because just in 2021, the girls played against each other, Christ the King versus Sierra Canyon at Staples Center. So... We know that these are going to be good matchups. It's great basketball all around. Arguably a better slate of names in that women's game. Yeah. Totally. And we'll get to that. But before we get to Robert, this episode is brought to you by doTERRA. doTERRA Deep Blue Soothing Blend has been used by athletes and fitness enthusiasts worldwide for more than a decade. Now it's easier than ever to apply with the Deep Blue Stick. Learn more at doTERRA.com slash spinsters. Wish your team could find some next level talent. When your business needs someone with the right skills fast, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash spinsters. Offer good for a limited time. At the turn of the century, Christ of the King High School in Queens, New York, was the center of the girls' basketball universe. As you might guess from the name, it's a Catholic school. It was built in 1969, and they call their team the Royals. Compared to the powerhouses of today, it wasn't much to look at. No massive celeb-filled stadium, no ESPN airtime. It was just a high school hoops program in the recognizable sense. A hardwood floor, a locker room, a set of weights. Oh, and one more thing a tradition of excellence that defined the sport. You might recognize some of the graduates. There's Shamiqua Holdsclaw. And now Shamiqua Holdsclaw of the Washington Mystics and the WNBA rookie of the year last season. Sue Bird. Bird for three, win it! So Sue Bird may be in her last shot attempt in New York. And Tina Charles to start. There's Tina Charles, first bucket as a member of the Seattle all played for the Royals before setting off on Hall of Fame careers in college and the pros. If you're keeping track at home, that's seven NCAA titles, seven gold medals, four WNBA championships, just from those three. Now these are the legends of the game, and chances are they'd have been great growing up playing anywhere. Florida, Wyoming, Alaska, you name it. But they credit the pedigree of their high school program with prepping them to excel at early stages as they leveled up. Bird said in 2010 that Christ the King was unlike any other high school team. Shamiqua Holdsclaw felt the same about her experience in Queens. She said, quote, We had the expectations of a college team, and we were treated and coached that way. Shamiqua was ready for Tennessee coach Pat Summit's grueling practice sessions thanks to Christ the King's preparation. This is a chance of a lifetime. You can't be afraid to go out and compete and do whatever it takes. She said that Coach Summit ran a tight ship, but it was nothing she wasn't ready for. In Christ the King's heyday, the workload and standards separated them. They rattled off 11 straight New York State championships and regularly finished as the top-ranked high school team in the nation. 
They were the powerhouse. High school girls basketball is now full of programs like Christ the King. You have the star-studded club at Sierra Canyon in LA, featuring the daughters of hoops royalty like Zach Randolph and Gilbert Arenas. Hopkins High School in Minnesota produced Paige Beckers a couple of seasons ago. You know, the one you saw in the national championship game. Here's Beckers, another three. You bet! Paige Beckers is feeling it! And have another top recruit leaving this year in Maya Najee. I'd remember that name. Yeah, Robert. And it is the names, right? Like before, like you're talking about, it was the programs like Christ the King. But now these players are their own brands. Like Maya Najee has her own logo with her initials. And it's the point that they want to go to programs that other successful high school girls basketball players went to, like a Paige Beckers, who you know, celebrities were going to her games and she was selling out arenas. She was all over Bleacher Report and Slam and all of those Instagrams. And they were in high school. These are schools that invest in hoops, seriously invest in hoops. We're not talking about bake sales. Private schools and academies like Sidwell Academy in D.C., Montverde in Virginia and IMG in Florida have perennial top rankings and state of the art facilities. I mean, IMG is where the WNBA held its mid-pandemic wobble season, which meant it was equipped enough to host a professional league. I know I'm throwing a lot of names at you, but that's kind of the point. These kinds of rich prep schools are everywhere now. At the top end, the competition has never been better. Here's Alicia Kamaki, the head coach of Sierra Canyon. This is one of the best, most talented, coachable teams I've ever had. And that's saying something. I've coached some really good teams. and we're behind two other schools and national rankings that are in our area. <laughs> like we have fantastic basketball in Southern California and we played La Jolla country day a couple weeks ago. You had three players who played USA basketball on the same team. You had six players who are ranked in the top 25 for ESPN rankings in one game. We're 90 miles apart from each other. It's at a time where I think basketball is really at an all time high. It's fun to watch. The sky-high level of competition has these teenage players ready to contribute to elite college basketball programs earlier than ever. They're practically professionals. But the new world order of prep-level hoops also pushes players into a decision common to higher levels of the sport. Stay local or join a super team. What I mean by this is, go to the high school down the street, the one their older siblings and the neighborhood kids went to, or leave home to attend one of those prestigious specialized academies. One, I automatically think of how not everybody has that opportunity, right? Like to go to these private, expensive academies. Sometimes they're not even in the same state. Sometimes the kids travel and fly to go to these academies to build these super teams. And secondly, I think of myself and I heard other WNBA players talk about like AAU was the time to build a super team. Like you would go play with all the best girls in the city and in your state because that was the time to team up. But high school basketball was something separate. And now I think it's interesting that those are kind of meshing together. Like they're not waiting for travel ball. They are just teaming up in high school. It's a fast-changing landscape with a ton of factors. Kids are encouraged to specialize earlier. That means sports too. And you might have noticed people are obsessed with ranking everything now, which includes high school sports prospects. 
How many DraftWatch prep blogs have popped up in the last decade? I could name three right now. We have so much increased exposure too. Invitational camps, tournaments, you name it. Think of the importance of getting that McDonald's All-American stamp. Plus, now we've got name, image, and likeness rules, which to be clear, I am for. But they add a layer to this. Suddenly top tier high school athletes have one more incentive to be as big and well-known as possible, money. The concentration of star players is reshaping the sport from the ground up. You all know Juju Watkins and McKinley Randolph. And she keeps it in bounds. Juju Watkins for two, and Sierra Canyon leads by nine. Here's Randolph, all the way, count it, plus a foul for McKinley Randolph. Incredible, wildly talented, budding basketball stars. Honestly, I don't, I don't even know if that gives it justice. I actually played with Juju in an open run in Watts a couple years ago. And I actually didn't know who she was then, but I knew she was a very tall, very good basketball player playing with grown women. There was also some WNBA players playing in there. And I, I asked someone, I'm like, you know, who, who is this kid? They're like, oh, she's only 13. And she's scoring on all of us, all of us. Her parents were there. It was just an open run at a park, community park in Watts. And she was showing out on all of us. So she is going to be very good by the time she gets to college. Did you see, like, was she more precocious than you would have expected from like a 13 year old playing, you know, a generation ago? Mm -hmm. The age was shocking to me because it was also the confidence. Like she had so much confidence. She knew that she could be playing at this level and she was scoring, but she was also missing a lot. And that also shows like, I'm not scared to pull up from half court and score against you. Like you're nothing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I was I was curious if you remembered like her actually scoring on anyone. Well, I well, I remember way. the the first time she went on, I was on the sideline because we were playing, you know. Runs. It was it runs. It was a lot of people there. And I just remember being like, who the hell is that? Like she was pulling up from so far away. Like you don't <laughs> you just don't do that. <laughs> Jordan, what W players were there? Um, it was Odyssey Sims was there that time. And that also just showed the level of like, oh, she's a pro player. She could score on any of us anytime too. But she was just working on her passing, working on certain parts of her game. And that's what Juju was there for. She was like, I need to put some of my skills to the test. And this seems like an opportunity to. And I was like, okay, I'm a fan. What, how can I watch you play? How can I follow your career? Because I know you're going to be a star. Well, she's prepping in more ways than one. Juju wasn't always on Sierra Canyon. She was playing high school ball at Windward and played with McKinley Randolph on the AAU circuit. And, you know, they hatched a plan to kind of form a super team over there at, at Sierra Canyon. <laughs> I love it. Just like the, you know, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Heedles, the two did kind of just like put together a plan. They wanted to play together. And I actually talked to Juju about this. Well, at the time at Windward, my old school, things weren't the best. And um, see, I grew close with Mac and then I started to have more conversations with Coach Kamaki. And I just made the move, you know. The way Juju and McKinley describe it really mimics how Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant talked about their vision for the Nets. 
Here's McKinley. When we was playing AAU and like both of us wanted to, you know, win some championships and like us yeah. teaming up was like a good idea. And plus we had some more good pieces on our team. So it wasn't like at Juju at one word, she had to do the whole show. Like it was a big team. Juju and McKinley are bound for big colleges and most likely the W one day. They get a lot of attention, much more than the average teenager. Juju's the age where most high schoolers might be prepping for the SAT or warding off thoughts about what they want to do with their life. Meanwhile, Juju's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. In fact, the LA Times did a write-up of that article. She has more than 58,000 Instagram followers, and actually, since I first started reporting this, she's up 6,000 more. In February, she signed a deal with Clutch Sports for name, image, and likeness representation. But at her prep school, Sierra Canyon, that's all just par for the course. The basketball programs on the girls' and boys' sides are stuffed with the daughters and sons of 21st century hoops royalty. Arenas, Wade, James. Yeah, that James. Games are a hot ticket, even for celebrities. Going to school with LeBron's kids is like, yeah, you, it gets normal after a while. And I feel like sometimes it's just those certain people that come, you're like, oh my God, like, they yeah. win the game. Like, if Jalen Green came to our game, I'll be so oh excited. God. Yeah. And like uh, we had Kyrie come, that was dope. Tuition runs $40,000 a year at Sierra Canyon. 40000 And the spectacle surrounding the game sometimes gets more hype than the game itself. Not many other 650-seat gyms find Drake in one of those bleacher spots. But the basketball program is about hoops, first and foremost. Sierra Canyon finished the season with a 30-2 and record. They dominated. In one late January game, Sierra Canyon won 87 to 16. And the game after that, Juju put up 37 points, 16 rebounds, five assists, and five steals in a 29 point win. In March, they played Archbishop Mitty for the state title and won by a mile or two. It was their second straight state championship. The players at Sierra Canyon work like pros or as close as they can get to that standard. They hold to strict training regimens, get state-of-the-art treatment, and follow long-term plans with one goal in mind, get to a top-tier college and then to the next level, where many of their parents have already been. Some of the kids on our team come from NBA dads, and they have a way different, obviously, lifestyle and the way that they trained and the way that they trained in the NBA and the work ethic that sort of got them to where they were has kind of been passed down to some of these kids. Coach Kamaki says that the promise of the top-end schools like Sierra Canyon is simple, to take the sport as seriously as the athletes and their families do. And early in the year, on a trip to Texas, this ethos was tested. We played four games against some pretty darn good competition in less than 24 hours. So our first game was at 10 a.m., and that was local time. So for us, it was an hour time difference. And then we played again at 2.30, and then we played again the next morning, and then we played again and then we flew out. And one of those games included a top five rated team in the country, New Hope Academy. And then 24 hours later, we're playing at the Staples Center. And this is all amidst, you know, beyond the fact of the competition and the travel and the wear on your body and all that stuff. This is also with COVID. And this is still high school. For athletes like Juju and McKinley, it seems to be working. When Juju signed with Clutch in February, she became the first woman prep athlete to be represented by the famous agency. Sierra Canyon has given them a first taste of what they want for the rest of their lives, competing on great teams, opening up their future possibilities, and being in a position to capitalize. So, Robert, what about 
the players that want to stay close to home? Are they like at a disadvantage? Do they not have the same resources as some of the players that choose to go far away and go to these prep schools? Well, I don't think there's any question that they're at some kind of disadvantage. You know, they don't have the same opportunities to play in these invitationals. You know, they don't have as good a teammates, so they're not winning as much uh, in many cases. It can be overcome. Um, one example is Lauren Betts, you know, is a top ranked recruit uh, heading into college next season. She's going to be playing for Stanford. And that's off. Rebound. Betts put back. Good. Betts now four in a row. Um, and she played at just her local high school, uh, Grandview High in Aurora, Colorado. It's a public high school, uh, almost 3,000 students. Um, it does have a very strong local basketball tradition, but it is just, you know, a public school there in that area. But she is, if you look at the, you know, top rankings of high school recruits, she is the outlier there. So many of them come from academies, come from private schools. Um, many of them have transferred to a different school at some point in their high school career. Uh, so that's becoming kind of less and less prevalent kind of path. Well, if she's going to Stanford, you know, you got to follow the low post lineage of the Gumake sisters. That's really exciting. Yeah. And she's, you know, the basketball tradition of Stanford was a huge reason she's gone there. Yeah. And specifically what they've done with post players. This season, Grandview started off by losing seven of eight games, one of those by 44 points. The reason for this is that they've turned increasingly to cross-country showcases meant primarily to get players like Lauren matched up against some of her neighbors on the national rankings list. Here's Grandview's head coach, Josh Ulitsky. That's where we've been in the last couple of years where teams will say like, hey, we're just not where you are. We, we don't think that game is going to be worthwhile. Or I've had other schools just like, we're not playing you. <laughs> yes, we have an opening. We are not playing you. Grandview played in the top bracket of Nike's Tournament of Champions. They upset top 10 La Jolla Country Day and lost by one point to New Hope. When I spoke with Josh, the team had just traveled to Minnesota to play Hopkins High School. They'd lost by 29, but Josh called it an opportunity for his players to challenge themselves. From the scheduling standpoint, we are always trying to put our kids in a position to be challenged and give them that, that exposure. So I think it started a long, long time ago, like, you know, we were just happy to get to the Nike tournament. And in the last few years, it's, you know, I'm begging to be in the top bracket because I'm like, I need us to get challenged. I'm okay with some losses against great teams. I'm okay with that. Still, for a top prospect like Lauren, it is a strange way to spend a senior year, suffering strings of losses against your soon-to-be college rivals and then returning home and challenging for your state title. I asked her why she stayed in Aurora instead of heading out for one of the gaudier top-tier programs. We've always been locked in in Colorado. Grandview girls basketball has always historically been amazing. So it's, there was no question in my opinion where I was going to go. Growing up, Michaela Onionware has always been like my biggest role model. She's such an amazing person, such a basketball player. To me, basketball girls are all about grit. I think the basketball players in Colorado would say are super aggressive. There's a little like crap talking here and then. I think, bas you know, girls basketball over here, I think we, we just kind of have that swag to us. And I think if I went to California, I'd be kind of missing that, kind of missing that competitiveness. Obviously, as you probably heard, the out-of-state tournaments didn't go as well as we wanted to, but um, honestly, it's taught us a lot about ourselves and we've gotten so much better from it. Lauren says that there's something to be learned on the wrong end of a blowout, something an increasing number of high school stars don't experience. 
in a game like that, I think you just have to build your teammates up. I mean, like being a leader on your team, obviously there's a lot of young girls on our team who don't have those type of experiences as like Mariah and I do. Mariah Hudgens, Lauren's teammate at Grandview, will be going to Santa Clara in the fall. I've been hearing for way too long that Colorado is like not a great basketball state, but for girls basketball, in my opinion, I've grown up seeing so much good basketball over here. So I want to get that out of people's heads that we're not as good as these other schools. It's part of what makes basketball, what makes sports special. The fact that everyone from high school sub to superstar comes from a community. Every friend group has that person who tried to tackle the NFL running back or once pitched to the softball Olympian. In many ways, high school is the last connection between elite athletes, those truly destined for professional success, and their peers who will one day watch them. More after the break. I love how I feel after a good workout. I feel strong, confident, and motivated. But your girl ain't young anymore. Those sore joints and muscles sometimes weigh me down and keep me from reaching my fitness goals. That's why I use the doTERRA Deep Blue Stick. It provides targeted, natural, and reliable relief without synthetic ingredients. Learn more at doTERRA.com slash Finsters. That's D-O-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Finsters. Wish your team could find some next level talent. When your business needs someone with the right skills fast, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is it makes hiring easy, all in one place. For example, the assessments. Indeed helps star applicants to shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking all the way to coding. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash spinsters. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash spinsters. Indeed.com slash spinsters. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just 4% of players will go on to play college athletics. That means that 96% of high school players will not. Josh Ulitsky, Grandview's head coach, says that sports should serve all students. It's crucial to design them in a way that foregrounds teamwork and that lets players pursue other interests within and outside of athletics. You know, I tell those kids, first of all, their teammates get to be around them. So that's part of it. And I think what's probably more important is they get to be around their teammates. And these are kids who are not necessarily all on the same trajectory. Now, some are. We have one player in particular who is a glue kid to this team. And this player's never going to play in college. But this is a huge part of her high school experience. And we've had numerous conversations about what a positive thing it's been for her. And I've seen the effects on our our high-end kids who are, you know, going to go play at other places and they're not going to get to play with other people like this player again, because 
that's not where her skill level is. That's not what she wants to do with her life. And just interacting with other kids, to me, those experiences, that's the special part to this. And so will that have an effect since we're talking about Lauren, will that affect Lauren in some way as she moves on? I believe so. I believe that that experience that she has with these teammates, good and bad, will help shape what that looks like for her from Stanford moving forward. It is, in some ways, a ramped-up version of what high school should be about. Forming deep bonds with your friends and peers, trying to achieve something as a group, learning how to deal with the success or failure that comes. Mariah Hudgens, Lauren's teammate at Grandview, will be playing basketball at Santa Clara in the fall. I asked her what she and her teammates took from that string of early season losses. Our confidence has definitely changed. So our first tournament was in Dallas in December, And our confidence was really low after our first game. We lost by like 50, I would say. And our confidence was just so low after that tournament. We had to really pick it back up, you know, try to work together and, you know, stay together as a team. Not to be hokey about it, but I'll ask you, Jordan, since you topped out at a higher basketball level than my uh, ninth grade CYO. I did. I dropped a career high 16 (laughs) on my birthday, I think, not to brag in in ninth grade. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Is there something special about this time? Is this like the last gasp of like purely fun sports for athletes who are going on to bigger and better things? Yeah. High school is interesting because I agree with what the players were saying. You do play against people that are going to go D1. I did not. I went D2. I still look back and I loved my high school teammates. I felt like we won. We broke records at our high school and I was it was fun to be a part of that. There was still some innocence to it. We had like sleepovers and and it was way more fun. When you get to college, it's more like this is a job. You're getting paid to do this. And when I think about the specialized high schools, the the prep schools, the academies, it feels like they're in college already. Like they're expected to be pros. They're expected to be this elite athlete at like 14. (laughs) Like that is wild to me. And I think too, I did want to play another sport in high school. And Well, I should take that back. My dad wanted me to play another sport. And I was like, no, ball is life. And I think back and I should have played tennis. I should have played tennis. That would have been so much fun. But I did specialize. I was like, everything is about hoop. And I'm worried that in those prep schools, that's also what they're doing. The other end of the extreme from your public school experience, Jordan, are these prep academies which can be even more sports-centric than athletics-rich schools like Sierra Canyon. Young players can be homeschooled or attend a traditional high school during the day, and then play with the academies year-round. And these new clubs are setting the bar nationwide. Last week, I spent two days down at DME down there, seeing what they're doing and how they're operating. You know, they've got a post-grad team, a high school team, they've got middle school developmental. It's become a business thing. So there's more comfort, I think, in that where you're seeing I think COVID is also the, the states that bubbled up quite a bit, I think, created some anxiety for parents and, and incentivized sending kids off. You know, there's three or four new prep schools in Arizona now that didn't exist prior to COVID. One of them had a, I mean, we had a Canadian citizen send their kid down to play high school in Arizona because they couldn't play up there. That's Chris Hansen, who is the managing editor of ProspectsNation.com. Over his 17 years scouting high school girls basketball, he's seen a shift in what's most important, state tournaments to mid-year invitationals. 
These pit star players and stack teams against one another and increasingly pop up on ESPN. Even those star players who would prefer to stay home are sometimes pressured into leaving for the private circuit. So if you go to a state like Washington that doesn't have any real prep school infrastructure on the girls' side, Garfield's blasting everybody by 30, 40 points because all the players in the city want to play for the good team. So they all end up at Garfield and you got some of the city schools refusing to play them because they're going to get blown out. That's not going to help you build a profile over time when there's no film. I've, I've sent film out on some kids from some of these states that don't have competitive basketball up and down their, their district. And I can't get colleges to, to get past the first three minutes of the, of the film because it's just not good film. So kids who might go to a public school like Garfield have to decide whether to uproot and chase better competition at private schools or academies. Chris thinks that the ultimate version of high school hoops might be a coast-to-coast league with national powerhouses traveling to face one another in recruit-rich events. They're going to try. I still think the biggest thing to get over is just, do I want to send my daughter out of state, out of our home to go do this? Because that's what has to happen for this to go on a, a massive scale. Okay, Robert, let's not sugarcoat it anymore. This all really comes down to money, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pricey. And, you know, like anything in the kind of increasingly competitive American educational marketplace, the kids who come from families with deep pockets have advantages. Those families can use those advantages or build those advantages in different ways. One really interesting, you know, aspect to this is not only do these private schools, uh, Sierra Canyons of the world, have more money to spend. Mm. But because they're private, they can spend it how they see fit. You know, they don't have to hold to all of the regulations that a public school might spending their money in different categories if their whole game is we want to have a great, great basketball team and uh, the parents of the kids on those teams will spend immense money to support that. Then that can be the whole thing. And obviously, you know, it's not hard to see how your local public school at a certain point uh, gets pretty quickly out of its depth there. It's just about the concentration of wealth. So, you know, there are schools that have patrons and donors who have a tremendous amount of money. A private school can direct its money pretty much however it wants. That's Avi Wolfman Arendt, an education reporter at WHYY Radio in Philadelphia. There's very few legal guardrails on what they have to do with their money. So if they're thinking the way we want to market our school and the way we want to establish prestige is by creating the best girls basketball program in the state of Pennsylvania, they can pursue that path. They might not get there, but they can pursue that path. They can try to talk to donors, try to convince them that that's the best way to invest, and they can do that. A public school is really not going to have that flexibility. Now, maybe they're in a community, right, where the people care a lot about girls basketball. And so the community supports the school spending a disproportionate amount of its money on the girls basketball program. But even if that's the case, there's just a lot of obligations that a public school has to meet financially, places, pockets they have to spend their money that are going to limit how much they can spend. That's even before getting into the fact that there are residency requirements for many public schools and there aren't for private schools. Just a different world now. It's funny. I'm looking at this picture of Will Chamberlain that hangs on my desk. I'm here in Philly. And Will is, you know, arguably the greatest 
basketball player to ever live. You won't hear that opinion very much outside of Philly, but you might hear it here. He's from West Philadelphia. He was, everyone knew when he was young, he was one of the greatest athletes anyone had ever seen. And he went to his local high school, Overbrook High School. It was just where he lived. And that's what you did. Either you went to your local public high school, or if you were Catholic, you went to your local Catholic school. There were a handful of private schools that drew kids from all over the region, but it was pretty, it was a pretty small band. And they weren't particularly interested in people like Will. And so today, if Wilt Chamberlain came along, there's absolutely no way in my mind that he would have gone to Overbrook High School. As high school hoops get more and more privatized, Courtney Cox, an assistant professor of indigenous race and ethnic studies at the University of Oregon, worries about a loss of opportunity for kids whose families can't afford to keep up. We have this dream and this fantasy of sport being the space. The best person plays, right? The best person starts. The best person gets recruited. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you're at. If you can ball, you can ball. And this is the dream, the fantasy of sport. The thing that's, it's very seductive in this way. And so I think there's an idea that, that the cream will rise to the top. The best will be found no matter what school they go to. But what we're finding out is that and anyone that has gone to any school where there was this local legend, somebody that was at the local spot that you know could hoop with the best of them, that you know that would be someone worth watching in the tournament. But that's not always the way it works. They don't always get to leave home. And so it's this dream that we tell ourselves. And in practice, this chasm is getting bigger and bigger. And one of the things that, you know, if we go back to the classic ESPN feature where we're showing this kind of grayscale neighborhood, the rim without the without the net, there's this idea of coming from nothing, right? I'm just a kid from Akron. You know, like there's different ways that we tell this story of being from a lower SES neighborhood and, and getting to make it to the highest point. And what we're finding is there's a lot more juniors, for example, in the NBA that's dad was in the NBA, or we're finding more and more folks whose dad was a coach or, you know, had access. And, and on the girls and women's side of the game, it's very much the same thing. And for those kids who do have the opportunities, there's another cost. I spent a lot of time with professional athletes, current and former. And one of the things that when they look back in terms of nostalgia, high school was this sense of being immersed in sport and in the best way possible. It was just like, wanting to be the best, having a sense of pride, having a sense of camaraderie with your teammates. Like if you talk to any professional athlete about high school, even ones that know that their pursuits are taking them to play at the professional level, the joy that they talk about, the way they try to harness high school, even when they're playing in the NBA or WNBA or NFL, now it's gonna be like middle school was that one time I had fun, you know? Because it started to feel like a job. I lost my joy for basketball in college. And I remember being like 19 and I was in the middle of season and I was complaining about my back hurting as if I was 80 years old. And then I remembered the last time I took a break from basketball was when I was 11. You know, we all know that sports, especially played at the super high level, like takes a toll on your body. And it always pains me that like, okay, burnout is coming. You know, for some of these elite players, when I see them on Instagram, I'm like, okay, keep the joy, keep the joy because it could, it could leave. Yeah. Even Sierra Canyon's head coach, Alicia Kamaki, is sometimes happy she grew up in a different era. 
I thoroughly enjoyed my high school time. And I hope that I was a pretty humble basketball player. And so I don't necessarily know if I would have really basked in the glory of, of social media. But I think for these kids, there's some really great things about it. And then there's some parts that honestly, I think that they wish didn't exist for some of them because there is a lot of extra attention on them. There is a lot of extra pressure on them. Chris Hansen told me about a couple players he works with, left anonymous so as not to impact recruiting, who did the academy route for a year and disliked it enough to head back home to their high school clubs. Now, of course, Spinsters is a pro player empowerment podcast at any level. Damn right it is. But when joining one of the top end teams holds such benefits, invitations to tournaments, recruiters noticing you, NIL money, more options can actually seem like fewer options. Still, the toothpaste isn't going back in the tube. We live in a world of hustle. And for all the hand-wringing over the state of things, if players want to do more, there will be a school out there that will help them. When I asked Alicia what the one biggest difference between her own time as a player and now is, she didn't focus on Instagram or recruiting rankings or anything like that. She focused on how badly kids want to work and how many people will help them do it. But what I've noticed is that these kids can go. And there's been times before where they leave my practice and our practices are pretty rigorous and they go jump into a private training session an hour later with their private trainer. And in years past, it'd be like, we're shutting that down. We do enough in practice. You guys are fine. But that's just who these kids are. The Sierra Canyon program prides itself on helping its students strike a balance between work and rest, exposure and overexposure, the grind and the fun. Overuse is a huge concern. Luckily in California, we have a lot of rules that help kind of regulate and help protect the athlete. But in terms of just even being in our own season, I'm somebody who personally went through two ACL tears and, and I don't think that's an overuse thing. It was just my body (laughs) didn't have good enough ACLs, I guess, you know, so I'm really, really mindful about keeping our athletes safe and protected as much as we possibly can. Obviously there's some things we can't control. So we're big on body maintenance. We have Normatex. And so these, we brought those with us to our Texas trip and uh, we make sure they're eating the right things when they're on road trips. And we take their phones away from them so that their minds can stay focused and, and study halls and, you know, different things like that. I asked Sierra Canyon stars Juju and McKinley about their fondest memories from their season. Juju's answer was a mixture of old school tradition and new school clout. Rich Paul came to our game for our senior night, so that was dope. But maybe it's the way of generations for the old one to fear change more than the new. For the future superstars at Sierra Canyon, hopping flights across the country to play against the best players in your peer group is just normal stuff. When we were in Alaska, we went snowmobiling and then we had a big snow fight. Everybody was... uh, getting thrown on the ground everywhere. Juju got yeah. beat up a couple of times. Yeah, we, we always have fun wherever we go, so that's just good. It's a different basketball world from the one Christ the King dominated a generation ago. A player with aspirations doesn't have to have the good fortune of being born in New York or LA to find herself on a club worthy of her talents. But another kind of good fortune can be required. I don't envy the decisions these kids face. It must be a tough thing to feel like your choices at 14 or 15 years old could determine the first steps of your career. But my sense is that the kids fear it less than the adults. My generation and the ones that came before still see these things through a lens of nostalgia, small towns and state titles and all that. The world these athletes I've spoken to have grown up in is different. You know exactly where you stand in relation to everybody you're competing with. For these players, the choice is theirs. 
This episode of Spencers was written and reported by Robert O'Connell. Our editors are Buffy Gorilla, Isabel Jocelyn, and John Yales. Production is by Isabel, Sam Allberger, Harry Krinsky, and me, Jordan Liggins. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our social media manager is Sierra Smith. And our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and Haley O'Shaughnessy.